0: People who
1: really fancy a good story. I'm Emily. I'm Rebecca, and we are back with season three of Infatuated. Woo! It is cold. It is October. <laughs> we are under blankets. We have tea. We are ready. But we also both have colds, so <laughs> apologise for the uh, for
0: the voices. But it's fine. I don't it's think fine. we sound awful. But the rest of the season won't sound like this, so don't worry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we were like, we won't, we won't record because Rebecca sounds a bit rough, but we live in the same house, so now we both just sound a bit rough. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> Would you like, Emily, to outline for our lovely listeners what this season's going to look like? Sure.
0: So we have a majority of this season recorded now and it's shaping up to be very fun. I really like it. Me too, it might be my favourite. It might be my favourite too. And yeah, as with season 2, we've got 10 episodes coming up and we're also going to do another Christmas slash end of the year special, so that'll be a bonus episode for you to look forward to, which I think comes out on Christmas Eve I think. That's
1: the Friday. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so yeah, be off on Christmas Eve.
1: Definitely know our production schedule.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, we have a Oh, not my ear! My ear is <laughs> talking to so me. Let me go turn that down.
1: <laughs> it's cold.
0: <laughs> so yeah, also we have a special episode coming up. So in episode three, two weeks from now, we will be doing a spoiler-filled deep dive on *The Starless Sea* by Erin Morgenstern. <gasps> because rebecca finally read it
1: yes it was most of my summer reading <laughs> and it was extraordinary and i'm not recovered <laughs> so we had a very long
0: chat about it because believe it or not i still had many things to say um, and yeah we thought we'd tell you that now so that if you've not read it and want to read it beforehand you've got a couple weeks warning. Or you can feel free to skip that one and return to that episode in the future when you have read it.
1: But Um, just to be clear, again, there will be spoilers, all the spoilers. So if you don't want it spoiled, don't listen to episode three. (laughs) Very good, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good episode. You should just read it.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, do you want to explain what we're doing this episode?
1: Yeah, so this is the same as our introductory episode to season two. We are going to catch you up with our favourite things from the season break. So it's essentially just quickfire favourites on speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: everything we've enjoyed over the past like two-ish months. months. Yeah.
1: Also, because Rebecca's a slow reader, <laughs> I needed some time to read books before I could be <laughs> infatuated again. So here's some other things that yes, we've been enjoying. Exactly. So, do you want to go first? What is your first <clears throat> quickfire favourite of season three? My first quickfire favourite is an
0: album. Shock. You won't be surprised by this. It's When Facing the Things We Turn Away From by Luke Hemmings. Hey. Yay! Guys. <laughs> Luke Hemmings has a solo album and it's so good! <laughs> so yeah, this is a album written in lockdown and has been described by Luke as him like, actually having time off for the first time in his life um, to sit and think about the weird life that he's had. So it's a very, like, self-reflective album. It's about relationships and his career and self-image. And for those of you who don't know, Five Seconds of Summer, his band, started when Luke was about 15, um, and he's 25 now. Mm. So a lot of the album is about that, like, that very complicated relationship of wanting to be famous and wanting to be in this famous band but also realizing like how it's messed them up
1: (laughs) yeah it's got to be weird
0: (laughs) yeah so i love every single song on this album no surprise Uh, it's a very cool vibe as well the lyrics are very beautiful and he's talked about lyrical influences being like Joni mitchell bonnie verre but the music itself is a lot more dreamlike and cinematic, so something more like Arcade Fire or M eighty three, that kind of vibe. So a lot of sad, emotional bops, as sad he calls emotional them, bops. <laughs> but also just some like nicer bops for a bit of like levity. And the visuals of the album are great too. If you look at his Instagram or his YouTube channel, where he has like visualizers mm. for tracks, you can see it's very ethereal, but like kind of neon and dark bit dreamy so i thought i'd single out a few songs there's a song called mum which breaks my heart oh i've heard that one <laughs> and it's basically luke apologizing to his mum for not staying in touch enough for the mistakes he's made but it's also i feel a little bit of him asking her like why she didn't save him from this very chaotic life because this song starts with very soft vocals where he says mum i'm sorry i stopped calling don't know what the hell i was caught in can't stop dreaming of chandeliers and your voice is all i hear and then the chorus goes i'm so heavy jump into my ocean can't you see me sinking love the fear of falling don't you know i'm too young won't you hear me calling you nothing hurts me now oh. um, and that nothing hurts me now is like really quiet followed by this like crash of music oh so good it's just very haunting, like this teenage boy calling for his mum because he's in over his head. But then you have the lines like, I Can't stop dreaming of chandeliers, that reminds you, like, this is the life he wants. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants grand things for himself.
1: Oh, so good. I really think that, I, like, my girl Taylor ruined me for any refrain or any line that is like, Don't you think I was too young? Mm Cause she has a line like that in her very saddest song ever, "Dear John," right? Um, about John Mayer taking advantage of her when she was too young, mm, and like yeah. just that, like that just reminds me of that, but also just that concept of like getting older and looking back on your younger self and realizing that you were too young for something that you thought you were old enough for. Yeah, yeah, it's just heartbreaking. It's really sad.
0: Yeah, but for a change of pace, I thought I'd also talk about the song "Baby Blue." Because it's about escapism. And okay. we all know I love a bit of escapism.
1: Oh my god, you're Pisces.
0: <laughs> so this song is more upbeat. And it is about like being a daydreamer and escaping when everything gets too much. <laughs> because it looks like <a> cancer, so <laughs> water signs. Mm. So the first verse is, Cool baby blue, drowning my eyes, so it seems. But I don't want to dive too deep, or I'm never coming back, never coming back lungs filled with smoke letting my head fill with dreams i'm hiding in a living sleep and i'm never coming back never coming back and then the chorus is i'm on my way to wonderland take off my suit and wander in for a moment or stay for a lifetime and then this repeats but the last line changes to or hide for a lifetime Ooh. um and i love that he does talk about like how great escapism is, but also, like, there is a difference between staying and hiding.
1: (laughs) Don't do drugs, kids!
0: (laughs) It is a really great album, I'm like very weirdly proud of him, (laughs) because it's just a very like emotional album. Like, I don't think you can, even if you didn't know who he was, I don't think you can listen to it without being like, well that's deep, Mm. (laughs) like, the things that he's singing about. And yeah, my, my vinyl should be arriving this month along with the other merch i got so look forward to hearing it in the flat
1: a lot <laughs> Woo! i actually am because i've heard from what i've heard like when you've been cooking and stuff yeah i do enjoy it
0: yeah i think you would like this well not that you don't like five sauce but i think you'd like it more than
1: yeah this seems less pop punk yeah and is. more like an alternative yeah yeah I i'd guess. say alternative
0: i think it's indie like you mm. produced it like himself and stuff well not himself but like with a very small team and yeah all that so
1: nice yeah love it
0: what's your first far favorite
1: mine is also an album shocker I know do we like music in this house <laughs> so my album that I've been loving is you signed up for this by Maisie Peters I have been going on about Maisie Peters for years <laughs> so obviously now that her official debut album is out I was gonna have to talk about it It's everything that I wanted. It is very sassy. It's very sad. It's full of good breakup songs. The production is on point. I listened to a Tape Notes episode, which is like a podcast that goes into music production, Mm -hmm. about it. And they make a really good point that it's a big sound, Mm -hmm. um, which isn't necessarily... It's not like a loud album. Like, it can be quite quiet, but it's quite cinematic and, like, her vocal is really strong, always to the front. Mm-hmm. Like you can't. It's not something that if it was on the radio and you turned it down, like you'd still be able to hear all the lyrics.
0: Yeah, a lot of her songs play in my work, and I think that's why it's because they're very like catchy and like you kind of have to listen yeah, to them. They grab yeah. your
1: attention. So some things I love about this album. Firstly, I love the title because it is signature Maisy levels of like egocentric. And like just bamming up men because she loves doing that. (laughs) Being like, you signed up for this. But also, it feels like a wee bit of a tip of the hat to her fans that have been with her for ages Mm. because we've been waiting for this album for so long. Yeah. And we literally all signed up to her mailing list. And there's been a million memes about how long it's taken the album to come out. Yeah. And every time that she sends out something on the mailing list, it's like, MP1's coming! <laughs> sometime! <laughs> so I just thought it was like a perfect title. Mm-hmm. I'm also obsessed with the hype and the recognition that the album has got, because it like, like you, I feel weirdly proud of her. I feel like finally she's getting the recognition she deserves, because it went number two, I think? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good for a debut. Also, she cancelled the gig in Edinburgh that I had tickets to, which was devastating. But she cancelled it because she got to go to the VMAs. Yeah. Um, some valid reason. Which is a valid reason, <laughs> and she wore Madonna's dress to the VMAs, and I'm just like, what a fucking girl was. I'm not even ironically. <laughs> that's just so cool. <laughs> so I thought I'd like share some of my favorite lyrics as well, because, nice. because Maisie's all about her lyrics, so some appreciation. <laughs> Um, there's a song, Hollow, which is, like, a straightforward breakup song in the best way. It's just like, this sucks, I hate this, mm. I'm sad. <laughs> and it sounds like that. It's like, it sounds hollow. It's, like, got these big, long, oh, moments in it. And, yeah. Oh, so good. But the bridge of it, Maisie is very influenced by Taylor Swift, which means that she often goes to, like, Bridge City and does, like, a big, dramatic bridge. But in this one, the whole song is dramatic and then the bridge just goes really quiet and piano driven and she just says, you're the one that got away and you got away with a lot. Oh, that's a sad lyric. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like, apparently that was like one of the first lyrics on my first listen that I was like texting people about mm. being like, oh my God. And then when I listened to that podcast, she was like, oh, that's my favorite lyric on the album. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder, man. What a gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. There's a song called Outdoor Pool, which is totally fictional, but it's about, like, being at school and when you're young and, like, you fancy somebody and, like, maybe something happens, but they're, like, much more popular than you or whatever and they just pretend it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so you're, like, crushed. <laughs> um, but I'm obsessed with the chorus because it's so British. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... We went swimming in an outdoor pool, and you wouldn't tell a soul at school. I'm just fifteen. I just want you, so that's cool. It's almost Skins if my eyes stay shut, but I don't swim, and you're not in love, and you only kissed me once in an outdoor pool. I love a Skins reference, right? <laughs> it's okay. so and like when you look at that album artwork, like it's all very like Londony, mm. but it's very like. Lo-fi, like Polaroidy. Mm-hmm. It's very skins. Mm, um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of big eyeliner. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Also, my name is in that song. The oh, fi- the cute. first line is, um, "Bleach tips in a rugby sweatshirt, two apart in chemistry." Which good good pun. <laughs> first boy with a driver's license. Heard you took Rebecca to HMV. <laughs> oh, Rebecca. I know. <laughs> can't believe you did that. I can't believe I did that either. <laughs> it's raging. <laughs> But yeah, I enjoyed that. The whole song, Love Him I Don't, is a gut punch and I love it so much. But I really like the title of it because obviously it's like that Love Him I Don't like plucking petals. Yeah. But that's the hook and it's um, Love Him I Don't, Love Him I Won't, Love Him I Did for a Minute but I'm finished because I've learned that loving him hurts, loving him don't work. So Love Him I Don't. Mm. And the piano, when she's singing that, sounds like... Like, plucking petals? Yeah. That's cute. Oh, it's so cute. So good. My final gush about this album, because I could actually just quote the whole album, it's so (laughs) good. But my favourite song on it is, unusually for me, the most upbeat song, (laughs) but it's just, it's an angry upbeat song. So it's called I'm Trying, brackets, not friends. (laughs) 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 And it's this really starky song about being friends with your ex. And the second verse, hashtag second verse (laughs) appreciation, is... Is really fast as well. So it's three shots, lemon drops, one for being lost and alone in your early 20s, one for being obsessed with someone who puts you secondary, one for calling guys with guitars in a cemetery, just me. Okay, if I'm being frank, I want a sorry, but I'll settle for a handshake because I'm the baby, but I'm going to be the bigger man, babe. So many blank slates, I could build a whole fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I love the way she sings... Um, because I'm a baby, but I'm gonna be the bigger man, babe. Mm. so satisfying. Mm. I'm like, such a good tongue twister. <laughs> but yeah, very proud of Maisie. Still can't believe she's only 21. It hurts my soul. Oh my god. Yeah, she's got like a number two album. The babies are really ruining it now. Yeah. Like Olivia Rodrigo. I was about to say Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. It's not fair, but yeah, it's awesome. Well done. Nice. <laughs> What's your next one?
0: My next one is a TV show and it is Loki on Disney+. Plus. Oh. So WandaVision was one of my quickfire favourites last season and a couple months ago I watched Loki and I can't pick a favourite because they were both so good I, but so different mm. that I'm like, I don't... I, lo- I love them equally. So I'll very briefly explain the plot. So in Endgame, <laughs> there's that scene where they go back in time the Avengers Tower And the Loki in that timeline steals the Tesseract and zaps himself away, thus creating a new branch timeline. Okay. Because this is a show about the multiverse. (laughs) But he gets captured by the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, who want to quote-unquote prune him. So basically they want to, like, cut that timeline off. They want to kill him. Okay. However... A TVA worker called Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, who is really good in the show, wants to use Loki to help him hunt down this variant that keeps appearing in all these other timelines. And the reason he wants Loki's help is because the variant is another Loki from another timeline. Okay. So that's essentially the setup to the show. Um, And I won't really go into plot because it's one of those ones that one is really hard to explain <laughs> and two is better to watch without any idea of yep, what's happening. That
1: was a really valiant effort at summarising, by the way. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> so yeah, you've got all this great stuff with the multiverse, multiple Lokis, there's the variant Loki who they're chasing who goes by Sylvie. It's so fun. I love her. Brilliant. And there's also some really great like philosophical <laughs> questions brought up. Lots of questions about the self And what it means if you're a variant of someone. So, like, does that mean you're not as valid as the quote-unquote real Mm. person? Is there a real person? You know what I mean? Is there a real timeline? So, yeah, Tom Hiddleston's great. He was always great as Loki. um, And over the many films, he has made him, like, a more human character. But you really get to see him shine in this show, where he is the main character and not just, like, the villain or... Thor's brother, who just happens to be there, mm. like, and the relationship between him and Sylvie is so interesting as well, for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also wanted to shout out a couple like behind the scenes things which you can watch if you enjoyed Loki. So on Disney Plus as well, there's a documentary featurette called Marvel Studios Assembled. There's also an episode for One Division in the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Um, and that's just like a, like, behind the scenes of was the that show the one we watched, um, or that I was there while you yeah, watched. Yeah, 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 I saw saw that, really good. yeah. I also watched an interview between Kate Heron, who's the director of Loki, and Jack Howard, who we've mentioned on here before, who's a really great director himself and just like film enthusiast. So they're pals already. So it was like quite a fun conversation and also interesting to hear. Kate's process, and again, just loads of behind-the-scenes stuff about the show. Also, discovered on that that she was a director on Sex Education, uh, which is a show that we are both in love with. Yeah. So I'm basically just a Kate Heron stan nice. <laughs> I think she's great, um, and I just love listening to directors talking about like the choices they've made. Like I just find it so interesting. And that was just on YouTube, so I will link that in I the think show notes.
1: I heard a bit of that as well, and yeah. Like, sometimes I don't really understand what it is that directors do, even though I did study film. Yeah. But she makes it very unpretentious.
0: Yeah, I I think the same, because I've always been one of those people who, like, obviously I love film, and I would love to do something to do with film one day, and I always thought, like, oh, it would write in. Mm. But, like, listening to her talk, I'm like, I do kind of think like that some ways. I'm like, I do think about like, these details, yeah. like, things that she was pointing out, I'm like,
1: maybe I'll be a director one day! I think that, <laughs> honestly, like, you know how we always have our one-day production company? Yeah. I think that you'd be a really good director and I'd be a really good producer. Yeah. Because my brain works totally in production details. Yeah,
0: I, I, <laughs> I'm I, quite good at coming up with ideas, but I never know how to execute them, so...
1: And I'm rubbish at coming up with ideas! <laughs> I've not got an original thought in this brain! <laughs> But if you tell me what the script does, then yeah. I can make it happen.
0: Yeah. I do also like, because the director still doesn't come up with the main idea, right? So you still have your writer. Mm. And I do sometimes struggle with the idea, but I'm, I think I'm quite good at like, I think I could take someone's idea and really analyse it and be like, this is how it should look.
1: Yeah, you're good at like visual, you're good at like multimedia storytelling.
0: Thanks. <laughs> yeah,
1: like you think about like emblems and yeah color palettes and like, yeah the way to dress an idea
0: in the in the way that Kate kind of describes the show is she'll say like oh so we had to do this scene and this is how I pictured it and like these are the people that I made to do that thing mm. I'm like oh that's cool <laughs> like I could do that I think maybe um so yeah it's just really interesting and like obviously I loved Loki as well so. Nice. Um, lots of behind-the-scenes stuff on that. What's
1: your next favorite? My one is like very. Next one is very short. Basically, it's my new hobby. It's my only non-word-based hobby that I have, which is <laughs> roller skating. Yes. Me and my friend Ray have recently become the probably oldest people who skate at the pavilion down at the river, <laughs> and I really like it. I'm not a very adrenaline person. Mm. As you know, like I don't do roller coasters, don't fuck with heights, mm. don't particularly like the idea of being under the water, but I do enjoy the low stakes vibe of feeling constantly like I'm gonna die because there's wheels on my feet, <laughs> but also like really chilled out and like I'm floating because there's wheels on my feet, mm. and there's a very friendly vibe among the skate rats. Yeah, they're they're nice people, even like especially the girls, because the boys can be quite scary when they're doing all their, like, tricks on their skateboards. Mm -hmm. Especially because I'm not very stable on my feet, so I'm always like, ah, please don't come near me. (laughs) But they're they're very harmless. But the girls are so, like, in charge (laughs) of the skate place. They're always like, don't go there! Do this! Do that! Do this! To all the boys. And they just do it. And I'm like, how have all these 16-year-old girls mastered the art of just (laughs) running the show? I love it. I love to see it. But yeah, I would just say... It's my new, like, hobby that I feel ridiculous doing, but I do it anyway, and I would advocate for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I wish, like, roller rinks were a thing here, Mm -hmm. like, because they're not really, like, not like in America, where you can, like, go and do, like, a roller rink-like disco. Like, that sounds fun.
1: There used to be one in Dundee.
0: Yeah, they used- well, because it is kind of like an old- like, it's a 70s thing, Mm -hmm. but, like, they're just- don't really exist that much anymore.
1: My friend Kat, who's like kind of the half generation above us, like she's in her 30s, mm. she was in roller derby when she was at uni. Yeah, and I know. And obviously that did exist when we were there.
0: Yeah, we there was a team, because Amy did mm. it.
1: But I think it was like a really big deal Yeah. then. Yeah. Which is hilarious, because Kat's like a skinny goth <laughs> and then she was like yeah, yeah i was used to like beat people up in roller derby." And yeah. i was like what <laughs> but anyway yeah it's it is a shame that there isn't one because there isn't any ice rink so you'd think yeah oh well alas maybe maybe it will come back with the rise of instagram roller skating people yeah
0: true next yeah my next favorite is actually a book yeah, i wanted to mention a book today because i don't think i'm going to do an episode on it honestly just because i wouldn't have like any analysis to give but i also couldn't not mention it because i loved it so it's know my name by chanel miller and it's her account of the sexual assault case she was involved in in 2016. so you guys might remember brock turner's name the stanford student who was on track to be this great olympian swimmer and he tried to rape chanel And she pressed charges, and he, unfortunately, was only sentenced to six months in jail. Three? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So she was anonymous the duration of her court case, and after the case, she published her victim impact statement under the name Emily Doe on Buzzfeed, and it took the world by storm. Like I remember reading it myself back then. Yeah, me Um, too. But with this book, which came out in 2019, she gets rid of that anonymity and she tells the story of her assault, the trial, her life in those years, all in her own words. And I picked this book up because part of my thesis focuses on assaults on campuses in gothic literature Mm. and I wanted to read the accounts of a real person who's gone through it to see if the language that they use can be comparable to the language used in gothic literature. Mm. The answer to that is yes by the way so I wasn't really expecting to like this book exactly I was just approaching it from a research perspective mm. but as I said it really took me by surprise and I loved it if you can say that like I just I thought it was brilliant obviously it's an upsetting subject matter to read about especially as a young woman but and I know this has become a bit of like a cliche phrase but I do think it's a book everyone should read mm and not just women like everyone, especially with the state of the news in the UK at the moment. Yep. It's very powerful and inspirational, but it's also very blunt and blatant and talks about rape culture and what it is to be fearful every day. And there are lots of statistics and facts that she brings in as well. And it's also really well written and it's filled with so much heart. It did make me cry a few times, but the bits that got me weren't actually the brutal moments. It was actually the really sweet moments the moments where chanel's family or friends or like her legal team support her or like people reaching out on social media who'd read her her victim impact statement i think it's really moving to hear that like despite this total violation she had people that she could trust and like who totally backed her Mm. and i think you get a sense that she wants to be that for other victims too as i said a tough subject to read about but it's not a tough read if mm. that makes sense. And I thought I'd read one quote out which has some of that gothic language I was talking about earlier and it doesn't go into too much detail about the case or anything like that so don't worry about like it being triggering. Mm. And this is Chanel recounting the night that she wrote the first draft of her victim impact statement. That night I told myself you're going to sit down and you're going to feel all of it dark nasty things are going to crawl out of you images will reappear the feeling of uncertainty and isolation you had at each stage will be felt again you will feel sick you will feel sad this will not be fun this will feel impossible but it will be done it must be done the present version of myself would walk through a long dark tunnel to meet the girl who woke up on the gurney join hands and begin the walk back through the timeline of horrible moments as she slowly learned the truth. As I typed, my face scrunched up, often I spoke out loud, sometimes the skin on my neck tightened, I whispered, I yelled, my eyes blurred with tears, I seethed, I stood up, I slumped in my seat, I walked in circles, but the two selves in my head continued to walk and walk, my present self constantly reminding my past self not to stop and curl up. Just to walk through i wrote all the way up to the present and then i stopped past self and present self hugged and past self disappeared it was 7am and in nine hours i had written 28 incoherent pages my first draft i looked out my window the sun rising i looked over at lucas sleeping peacefully i ate some lucky charms cereal in my pajamas listening to my spoon clinking against the bowl in silence the diluted yellow sun coating the buildings. I could see a bus down below, a small rectangle pulling up to its stop, people crossing the street. Another day was beginning. I was okay. The story had not swallowed me. Oh. <laughs> I think that's like a good example of the writing in in the rest of the memoir, like the style, like using metaphor to explain how she's feeling which sounds like a simple idea, but it's actually very difficult, especially if you're writing about a subject matter so close to you. Mm. But I just thought she did a really great job and I really admire her. And yeah, I, I, I do really recommend the book. If you think you can sort of handle reading that subject, it's well worth a read.
1: Yeah. I think that it's always, like, it's impressive always when someone can write about their trauma. Yeah. It's particularly impressive when that person is not a writer.
0: She she is, she was an English student. Right. Yeah.
1: But, like, even if she wasn't... Yeah. Like, there's loads of people that write memoirs and books like that that aren't. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a really telling... Like, it's a point where... You know, sometimes people say, like, what's the point to studying books Mm. and language and everything? Because anyone could do it. Mm. And, like, partly books like that fuel that, right? Because anyone can yeah but I feel like it shows that like you go through something extreme and then you have to try and articulate it and that's when language skills become really valuable
0: yeah yeah
1: and I don't know I just think that that's like a great example of where the like the academic and the everyday crossover because it's like it's not like you have to then go and get a degree to learn how to write that book
0: yeah no definitely
1: but I think it shows you like that you would pick up those skills while doing that. Yeah. And that shows them to be skills.
0: Yeah. Also, like, obviously, like, literature is history, and, like, whether you're a writer or you're just writing Mm -hmm. that book, like, you're documenting history as well. Mm -hmm. Like, if you take this, for example she's talking about a very specific time period where, like, women were finally starting to get heard more yeah. in these cases, which is ridiculous because it was only, like, four years ago mm-hmm. or five years ago. So, yeah, I agree with what you say. It's, it's definitely a very important book.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It feels like an yeah. important book and it shows that there shouldn't be an elitism over who is a writer. Yeah. But that the ability to articulate yourself shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, I guess exactly. I think
0: that's, like important yeah have you got a favorite to cheer us up yes i do
1: (laughs) yeah sorry i got very serious there (laughs) that's right it makes me it's because i'm trying to stop myself from getting angry and ranting
0: yeah the only reason i'm not is
1: because i have to write it yeah so it's kind of out my system already that's fair yeah so my next quickfire favorite is a very sweet one it's a game oh she played she played a video game. What? A a virtual <laughs> virtual entertainment system. <laughs> it's called Florence and it was a game. It's a game on your phone cuz I refuse to engage with consoles. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a brilliant little indie game. I think maybe a better way to describe it would maybe be like an interactive comic. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I downloaded it on my phone ages ago after I saw it recommended somewhere, but my old phone didn't have any space. Mm. So then when I got a new phone, it actually downloaded and I was like, oh shit, I get to play this now. Anyway, it's created by Mountains, which is a little indie studio based in Melbourne in Australia. And the narrative of the game follows Florence, who is a 25 year old woman working a pretty boring day job in an unnamed city. She meets and falls in love with Krish, this is not a spoiler, this is the premise of the game, who is a cellist who literally brings colour to her life. Mm. It's a really pretty game. (laughs) And it's only about an hour and a bit's worth of story, like Mm -hmm. that's how long it took me start to finish. And there's not like skill that goes into the gameplay, but it's more about the way that it uses the interactive bits to get across the emotion of the story Mm -hmm. and the ways that they've done that's really cool. So, for example, Chris inspires Florence with his music, and there's this beautiful moment where you're walking down a black and white street. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the game's in like muted tones, and then these bright, like vibrant yellow musical notes come floating towards you. So you tap on them, and then they start coming faster the more that you tap on, and like you kind of burst them like bubbles. Uh-huh. But if you keep tapping on them before they reach you, Florence starts floating. Oh. And then like the the way that the game, you know, like the phone does, like, what's it called? Like, haptics. Mm-hmm. It feels like the phone's, like, floating <laughs> in your hand. It's really cool. Um, and she floats all the way to Krish, which is adorable. Yeah. But what I thought was really cool about it is that it uses really simple design features to convey sadder emotions as well. So part of the narrative is Florence and Krish's relationship like running into problems. And so on their first date, you assemble speech bubbles like a jigsaw Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. You don't have words for what they're saying to each other. You just get the impression of the, how the conversation's going by the jigsaw. So you you start and there's loads of pieces for each speech bubble, and so you have to assemble them quite slowly, and it takes quite a lot of thought. But then the more they start to get on, the bigger the pieces become. So there's fewer of them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and eventually there's just like one big piece that you're dragging into speech yeah. bubble. But then when they start fighting. The speech bubble fragments go into jigsaws again but instead of at, at the start it's like rounded edges like a normal puzzle like mm-hmm. just how a, how a jigsaw looks when they start fighting it becomes like jagged like it's broken and you it's really difficult to like slot it together yeah and instead of the game waiting for you to assemble like Florence's speech before Chris speaks which is what happens at the start He just keeps speaking, and you have to assemble it quickly, or the whole screen tips off, and like you can't speak anymore. Yeah. So it's like fighting when you're like, you're not even thinking about what you're saying, you're just trying to keep going. And I don't know, like it made me really panicky when I was doing it, and I was like, this is such a good way to get across that feeling.
0: That's so clever. I know. Do you know what? This sounds like a video game that Zachary (laughs) would really like. Yes, it does.
1: From Starless Sea, it totally does. Um, It's like, I feel like our city in particular is so, like, Dundee's the city of design. hmm And, like, Abertae, one of the universities, has this huge video game design course. Yeah,
0: like, Rockstar Games is yeah. from here. So, people who know video games know that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, sometimes, but sometimes I feel like I don't really know what video game design is other than, like, the graphics. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about video game design, I just think about, like, if it looks really sharp or whatever. hmm But, like, this is... This made sense to me. Was like this is design.
0: Yeah, because it's story it's as well. It's story. I'm
1: mm-hmm. just like one more brilliant moment that I wanted to pick out was it's all in chapters because it is like a story. Mm-hmm. And there's this chapter that's called Drifting, and so like imagine me, it's like midnight. I'm playing this game on my phone. I'm so invested in this relationship. Yeah. And you get to this chapter called Drifting. And you're like, oh no. Nah. <laughs> and it's like it's also like a puzzle. There are other gameplay other than puzzles, but clearly yeah, I like puzzles. And when you put it, it's almost like a mosaic where you put all the tiles in the right order. They show a picture of Florence and Krish, like, hugging. Mm -hmm. But it's all jumbled up, so you're having to try and put it together. But on top of trying to put it together, each piece is very slowly drifting out of the centre. So it's like they're, like, ice floating on water. And so you're trying to, like, you you put a few together that make a bit of the picture, but then by the time you've found the next one, Mm. they've all drifted apart and you have to put them all back together again. And it's, like, so stressful and upsetting, (laughs) but it's so slow. Yeah. Like, the movement of it's so slow, but it's quick enough that you can't stop it. Yeah. And eventually, like, you do sort it into a picture, but you, like, it doesn't ever fit together because it's always already drifting by the time you get the last piece in. Mm. And I just thought that was such a perfect and succinct way to get across the feeling when you feel like something's slipping out of your control, but you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it made me so emotional. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't play games very often, but I used to play games on Steam all the time, like indie games, mm-hmm. and this one's really short, and I think it would be useful if you're like me and you don't play games a lot, but you're a writer, because I think it forces you to think about emotions and storytelling in like a very visual and tactile way, mm-hmm. which is not how I normally think about it. So like, it helps with building different metaphors and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: I love the sound of that.
1: It's really, really good. Like, I, th- I think I will download that. I think you should. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend. <laughs> What's your next one? My next one's a podcast. Nice. Um, so the
0: podcast is Ear Biscuits with Rhett and Link. Mm. So I like this podcast anyway. It's actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. I worked out. I started listening to podcasts in my first year of uni. So, like, How many years ago was that? Like six. About six. So I've been listening to this podcast for six years, that's mad. So Rhett and Link host Good Mythical Morning, which is like a long running series on YouTube that is very silly and family friendly, Mm. but their podcast is more of like an adult affair, like it's, or it's just like more conversational about their lives, Mm. but they're like in their 40s, so like, it's adult. But i specifically wanted to talk about a sequence of episodes they've recently done about sex mm. so rhett and link grew up in purity culture in the evangelical church in south carolina they both got married to their wives when they were in college around 20 and their wives are the only people they've slept with mm. so over a few episodes they have a really in-depth conversation about like learning what sex was sex education how their religion shapes their views of sex. They also talk about meeting their now wives and how they all dealt with waiting until marriage and why that's a choice they made. Also how their sex lives have evolved throughout their marriage, how they want to teach their kids about sex. Um, And they do also have their wives, Jessie and Christy, on one episode to give their side of the story as well. Hmm. And I should say, all of them have gone through a deconstruction, so none of them are Christian anymore but i think that's why i found the series really interesting because even though they now don't agree with what they were being taught none of them regret that they waited until marriage or that they got married young or anything like that so it's just really fascinating because like i'm so not in that world mm. <laughs> like the way they talk about like sin And having to confess sins like every night like if they did something they would have to confess their sins to god and all this kind of stuff like that's so alien to me but yeah episodes 301 to 304 of ear biscuits are written link story they go from the first time they heard about sex all the way up to present day including like first kisses girlfriends being in college masturbation their wedding night jesse and Christy are in episodes 304 as well and then episode 305, which I think will be out by the time this goes up, mm. is them. They're going to be like answering questions from listeners nice. about the topic. because so I think that'll be cool too. So yeah, it's well worth a listen. Like, Rhett and Link are really funny people as well. So, like, even though some of the subject is quite serious, it's mostly quite a humorous and silly conversation. And just like. It's just one of those like very random things where I was like, oh, I'll listen, I'll listen to that over like the course of a day. I basically mm. listened to the whole four episodes and it was
1: I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I caught a bit of it when you were listening to it.
0: Oh yeah, I was cooking with it on at one point. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I was just like, I think they were talking about the wedding night.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, yeah, it was like a weirdly... Because <laughs> I think it's one of those things that when you're definitely not in that culture, but you know that that culture exists, it is like the things that you want to know. But you're yeah. too polite to ask.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like they, they go very in depth. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're um,
1: like, but how though?
0: <laughs> yeah, like they, and there just so many things that I hadn't thought about because I feel like one of the sort of stereotypes is that like couples will do like anything but have sex. Mm. But like one point, like Link wouldn't even hold Christie's hand. Like it was like nothing. Like they didn't do anything their first kiss was when they got engaged.
1: See, that is insane to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like but he explains like why that was a choice they made. And obviously like I don't agree with it, but I could understand it cuz like he yeah. explains like this is what we were taught and like cuz of the the weird way that the evan- evangelical church works, he didn't want to like corrupt Christie's purity either yeah. so it was a sign of respect like in a weird mm-hmm. way so yeah it's just just very interesting I
1: think it's really interesting because I do think that our western like if you go with like atheist western mm-hmm. belief system does really romanticize sex and that it tangles it with romance and romantic love so completely mm-hmm and, like, people will say, oh, you can have just sex, but people very rarely think that you can have just romance without it. Yeah. Or without uh-huh. that, like, underlying tension or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, having someone explain how they have a successful romantic relationship without that is just never not interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, the opposite thing, where, like, they've been brought up in this. Yeah. If you've been brought up with, like... MTV, <laughs> yeah. Then it it can be quite difficult to imagine, but I do think it's really worth. It's like worth introspecting about the kinds of relationships that you want. Yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> I love that for them. <laughs> yeah, they're they're very happy. It's yeah. all worked out. <laughs> I'm glad that
0: it's worked out for
1: them. Um,
0: couldn't be me, but. <laughs> okay, what's your next favorite?
1: Well, I've just slightly changed the order of mine because I feel like this one goes. Um, okay. My. Fourth now, quickfire favorite is sex education.
0: Yeah, I was. I almost put this on, and then I was like, "Now nah, Rebecca's going to mention it, so I'll just leave it and I'll I'll jump in." Yeah.
1: So like season three specifically. Yeah. We both have watched in this break. Yeah. We've definitely mentioned this show on here before. Yeah, I um, mentioned it earlier. Actually. Yeah, but like yeah. I think I've done right. like a yeah, section on I it think before. So. I think. So. Um, but I have to talk about it again because I binged this season in a weekend. It was Mm -hmm. excellent. Yeah, me too. I will say I didn't feel it was as well done as the previous two seasons, partly because it's season three of a Netflix show. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for it to be as well, like, constructed because the original Mm -hmm. premise of the sex education of Otis giving out advice for money isn't there anymore in season three. So parts of the first few episodes felt a wee bit forced. Mm-hmm. I thought in the same way that like later Grey's Anatomy scenes can feel a bit forced. <laughs> like the characters yeah. will be given a monologue about social issues in a voice which is not entirely their own, mm-hmm. and it feels like the show is shoehorning a message into the storyline because that's what the premise of the show was. But that settles out after like two, three episodes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. And then you get on to the good stuff. And I loved that we got storylines of some characters that we hadn't seen very much of. Mm-hmm. I loved Adam's storyline, oh. the headmaster's son. Oh, Adam my favorite embracing well. the gay is one of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> because he's so hyper-masculine. Yeah. And so English. <laughs> yeah. is so pure, oh, though. so sweet. <laughs> the bit where he walks into the changing rooms... And he's challenged. I yeah. won't say anything because I don't want to give away the line. Yeah. But it's so good. Yeah. Also, Ruby, the popular girl. I don't feel like this is a spoiler because I think everyone's seen the meme. But the scene yeah. where Owen and Ruby walk into school together is straight out of like a naughty's team con. <laughs> team holiday, where she's like giving him her little handbag. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Did you have any favourite moments you wanted to shout out?
0: Oh god, I don't know. My my favourite storyline was Adams. It was very funny this isn't it wasn't a favourite moment. It was very funny to me seeing Robin from Game of Thrones like running about naked. I know you've not seen Game of Thrones, but he was like this little annoying child who like was still breastfeeding at like ten. Right. And he's the guy who ends up running about with a goat in front of him. Right. That was quite funny.
1: Um I think that the More that we go in the seasons, the casting of Adam and his dad. Oh, spot on. So spot on. Their mouth movements. Yeah. And like just the way that they pull their facial expressions. Such good acting. Yeah.
0: Also casting uh, Jason Isaacs as his uncle. Yes. Like, so good. Didn't know I needed to see that, but I'm like, oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also love that in this series we went to Nigeria with Eric. Yeah. And like it brought in, you know, the idea that like different countries obviously have different cultures of sexuality, what mm-hmm. we just said. It's like yeah, and like there's a lot of cool stuff in that storyline that I won't spoil.
0: Yeah, yeah, i degree agree. Lots of like interesting non-binary stuff as well. Yeah. Like the idea of like, for example, this character is non-binary but it's like they don't want to be, like, an activist for it. Mm-hmm. They're just like, no, it's just, like...
1: This is just, just my, my life.
0: life. Like, I don't need to be an activist. And I'm like, that's a very interesting idea because I think often how the world works now, it's like, you have to have a cause and your identity has to be your cause. Yeah.
1: So I really liked that. I thought that the way that this season took on the topic of sex education in a more formal way with, like the headmistress coming into the school, she insists on really old-fashioned, like, gender-split, scare-led, abstinence-based, bullshit sex education! <laughs> who, as someone who went to a Catholic school with a similar curriculum, I really enjoyed that as a storyline because it showed how absurd it is. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was the most interesting about that whole setup is that she's a young headmistress.
0: Yeah, and the way that they've had her dialogue, it's that... She does this thing, which is a very, like, I I feel like I've seen people like this, where Mm. they they act as if they're, like, quote-unquote woke, Mm -hmm. but their actual argument is flawed. So, like, I'm trying to think of an example. So, like, abstinence, she's saying something like, you know, she's been told that if you teach abstinence, it's like, it doesn't work because, like, teenagers will rebel against that, blah, blah, blah. And she's saying, "Well, I think we should give teenagers more respect. They're more like adult than you think. Like they can restrain themselves." And it's like, "Oh, you're you're sort of you're so close. You're so close to being right." And so I thought it was very interesting because she doesn't come across straight away as the villain. No, she she definitely doesn't come
1: across as like a conservative person. Yeah, yeah. And this is what I thought was really interesting is that, like, it's the argument always between, like, liberal and the left, as well. And she's quite old school in that she thinks that... And, like, it's not... This is why it's interesting, because it's not fully wrong that social policy transcends identity politics Mm. a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, it's... There are more... Not important, but there are broader issues that get bogged down in identity politics. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a valid argument that she has mm-hmm. that a lot of people of her specific age yeah. do have. And yeah. it's like a common frustration. So it was interesting to see that represented. But the ways, yeah, the way that her rhetoric has to go through hoops yeah, yeah, to yeah. get to that when she's actually faced with real people yeah, is so fascinating. Yeah, And like the whole, like even the uniform thing Ooh. where it's like, it's not strictly a bad idea. Mm-hmm. but your reasons behind it are completely flawed
0: yeah yeah
1: it's like it's so interesting it is oh,
0: I just love this show it's just again it's, it's a very important show I think and I think some people will just like I know some people who haven't watched it because they think like it looks silly and I'm like but some so much of it is silly but it's so like the actual issues that they bring up are so real and I'm like I love that teenagers are going to be brought up watching
1: it I think it is the answer to what in betweeners was trying to be but like but Mm. in betweeners was just
0: gross a
1: lot of the time.
0: (laughs) I don't think this is what the in betweeners was trying to be. Well
1: not trying to be, but like that's that's not a fair statement. I mean more like so, I know loads of teenage boys, like boys that were our age when like and when we were teenagers, they loved them between us because they felt like that was like their lives or like that was right. Them. Okay, yeah, I get you. And yeah. it was like not afraid to get into the nitty-gritty gross bits of being a teenager. Right, yes. I feel like sex education does that, but it doesn't rely so much on what I will call boy humor. Yeah. to do it. It has yeah. like body humor and sex humor. Yeah. But none of it's, like, at the expense of women. (laughs) Which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Because I could never watch the Inbetweeners, because it just grossed me out.
0: Yeah, I didn't mind the Inbetweeners, but it wasn't my favourite.
1: I didn't think it was funny.
0: Mm, Yeah, I liked some bits and thought other bits were like, oh. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But, anyway, that's Um, my hot take.
0: Yeah, I love it. I do, I have something I want to ask you, but it's a spoiler, so I'll save it for after we're done (laughs)
1: recording. (laughs) Okay.
0: But it's just come up in my head but I can't ask you on here. So. Okay, cool. What's your next
1: one? <laughs>
0: so my this is the last one, isn't it? Yeah. My last favourite mm-hmm. is another musical artist, but not like a specific album. So I really got into Grady recently. He has one short album out, but he has loads of just like random songs and singles. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I first heard of him. When he did a song called the idea of you with lovely the band who i already knew but i've listened to the rest of his stuff since then and love it he's quite an eclectic artist some of his songs are very pared down and purely about the lyrics and others are more produced um and i keep seeing him being described as like bedroom pop or indie yeah. pop
1: Bedroom dream pop. Yeah.
0: So, the thing I like most about Grady is that he's great at what I like to call unconventional love songs.
1: Yay! So,
0: I thought I'd go through three of his that I think are good examples of this. So, first is his song All In, which is like really high energy and it's about rejecting hookup culture or like dating rules and Mm. playing games with people and all that. So, the chorus goes, fuck it i'm all in beyond double text shit i'll call five times in a row before calling it quits come on darling i want to be reckless i want to be myself don't want to tiptoe anymore no more games no more chase i'm tired of running and running fuck it i'm all in to be clear before I go on, this energy is only great if the other person reciprocates that. Yeah, I was going to say, like we've, we've seen how that
1: can go wrong. <laughs> yeah. but I
0: don't feel I, like I need to explain that to like our audience, Yeah. but just so you know, only good if the energies are matched, which in this song it is, so it's fine. So I just really like that energy. It's very fun. It's also a very fun one to like, sing along to.
1: I do enjoy that energy. I feel that like I, d- <laughs> I can embody that energy and I like yeah. it.
0: As someone who, like, hates dating apps, I'm just Mm. like, yes, I agree. (laughs)
1: Yeah. As someone who goes on dating apps, meets one person, and then (laughs) deletes the app because I can't be asked to talk to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So a more, like, gentle song is Kissing Girls. This is such a sweet song. I adore it. The only bad thing about it is that it's really short. It's 1 minute 41 seconds, which is... Not long enough for a really good song. But it's quite a simple structure, it just goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus and each of those like pairs is about a date. Mm. And they both end with, I don't know too much about you, but of what I do so far, there's nothing not to love about you, darling.
1: Oh! So sweet!
0: <laughs> and lastly, I want to mention his song, Nine to Five, which might be my favourite of his.
1: That's bold. Yeah. That was a bold choice for a song. To I know.
0: All. I think it's his newest song. It's been out about a month. And this is a cute song about how he wants to get famous and make money so he can let his love interest quit her nine to five and he can look after her after years of her supporting him as a struggling musician. So the lyrics are, When my pocket's big and full, I hope I don't act different, but you can quit that nine to five and get some rest. I won't have to wonder why you're here or if you like me, because you've been kissing me goodnight since I didn't have a bed. Oh! It's so sweet! So sweet. So yeah, that's great, eh? His full-length album is out the week after this episode goes up, so keep an eye out for it. I think it'll be really good. It's called The Love Umbrella. <laughs> Um Ooh. and all in a nine to five will be on it. So. I am
1: going to download that nine to five right now. Yeah, I like the sound of that. You
0: need to listen to it. It's so good. It's so catchy. I always find myself like doing you know like a little like seat dance <laughs> when you're like sitting down listening to it. Aww. Um. So yes. Yeah. That That's my last one. What is your last
1: quick for a favourite? Well, my last one now that I've done a little switcheroo is also music, mm-hmm. um, but it is an album again. It is Begin to Look Around by Greta Ray. This album I have had on repeat for weeks, and honestly it filled the hole in my soul that Solar Power created. <laughs> no shade to Lord. I love Lord, but I was not vibing with Solar Power. But I was looking forward to some good Lord lyrics, and mm-hmm. like Romanticising urban landscapes Mm -hmm. and like thinking about long, like you know, like long nights, long day songs that Mm -hmm. Lord is so good at. Mm -hmm. I wanted that, and Greta Ray gave me that. So she is also an Australian singer. Her vocals are kind of growly but very strong, um, so I love her voice to begin with. And the album is packed with all these amazing string arrangements, Mm -hmm. almost like Dodie esque but more powerful string arrangements, which is so good. (laughs) And, like, motivating is the word I've written down, and I know why I've said it, but it sounds weird. Backbeats, because, like, Mm -hmm. even all the sad songs are really propelled by the drums. Okay, yeah. So you get the whole sense that the album is a journey forward, there's a lot of travel in the lyrics, which I think is great for an escapist album. Mm-hmm. You're in London for her song The Cure, which I think is a good reference. Yes. But London is The Cure, in the song, <laughs> which I think is a good metaphor. Then you've got It's Almost Christmas in Philly, which is a really cute ballad about a tour in a car across America. And it's got like a really cute voice note at the end of it, mm-hmm. where like, her person that she's travelling with, yeah. this guy says like, I can't remember. He's like my worst nightmare. I said at the beginning was getting stuck in the snow, going to like the arse end of Kentucky. <laughs> that's what's happened, and you just hear her pissing herself laughing. <laughs> it's such a sweet song, and you've also got in another song a mention of Brunswick Street, which I'm going to choose to believe is referring to Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah. Because that's where that has a Brunswick Street. I feel like that's the most famous Brunswick Street. So I'm I gonna think s- so. I'm gonna say it's yeah. Edinburgh. Yeah. So yeah, I could pick out just about any lyric from any song is a favourite, but I've already lyric-dumped with Maisie, so I'm not <laughs> going to do that I'm just going to pick out one verse from this album and I think I've picked it because it shows really well how closely, for me poetry and songwriting are linked because it's so full of internal rhymes, and the rhythm's really interesting so I'm going to try and say it in the rhythm that she sings it, but I'm not going to sing it <laughs> Echo is the Brunswick Street one, because we love a bit of national rapping. <laughs> So it's for here we are in the summer's heat brunswick street love far from turning sour headed for breakfast at some ungodly hour and while i live in your pockets you inhabit my plans i guess my waist remains a good resting place for your hands boy in your mind did you know it then one night with me would turn into a whole weekend and then some didn't foresee it thought you were out of my league who knew your hazardous gaze would amplify your prestige on a day well spent It was paving the path that was lying ahead and two tongues so tied they loosened to learn one another with time. Oh, I like that. I like it too. I love it how tongue-twisty it is. I tripped over it because it's so (laughs) tongue-twisty. I'm sure it's meant given the lyric about being Mm, mm tongue-tied. But I, like when she, again, when she sings I guess my waist remains a good resting place for your hand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the beat of it, it's just so good. The song is called "Happenstance." If anyone wants to listen to it, and yeah, I just think she's a really underrated artist. I haven't seen that many people talking about her. I don't think I've heard of her now. But she is like, if you're into the same music that I'm into, which I feel like everyone gets at this point, <laughs> yeah. female singer-songwriter, wordy ballady pop. Mm-hmm. She's a good one to listen to. Nice, and that's me. <laughs>
0: Okay, so that is us this week, first episode of season three. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! If you have any comments or questions, then our email is infatuatedpodcast at outlook.com. We also have social media, which is linked in the show notes, along with everything we've talked about today, including the Infatuated Mix, which has all the music we mentioned. A oh, uh, s- lot of songs added to it today. It's getting <laughs> so good. Uh, and yeah, please rate and review us on your podcast apps, because
1: that helps get the podcast out there. Also, feel free to share our stuff on social media. Feel free to tell your friends about us. Do you know that we got a, a comment all the way from Canada, and it said, <laughs> the one that goes first sweetest voice ever one that goes second she talks a lot she's scary smart (laughs) really
0: yeah (laughs) that's hilarious
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i I think i feel like that tracks you have a really sweet voice and i talk a lot (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for that feel free to you know hype our egos up anytime yep see you next week see See you next next week Bye. Bye. bye